welcome to the Loki field, where we're all about violating the minds and inner realms of our guests to talk about love, life, and geekery. Welcome to another episode of the Loki field. Tonight, we have a very special guest joining us. He's a mindset success coach and the founder of Wildfire Dynamics. And we're going to be talking about Wolverine, adamantite skeletons, expanding and opening minds. And just, we're going to go down the rabbit hole. So, hi. Hey. Welcome How to are the you? show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so for the listeners listening, who are you and what's your origin story? So Spider-Man got bit by a radioactive spider. Like, what's your story? <laughs> oh, well, um, I always knew from a very young age that I had great potential, right? Um, mm. And, you, you know, we, we mentioned Wolverine. And I believed, yeah. <laughs> I believed, right, when I read the comic book and I read his origin story and how they in, had infused his skeleton with adamantium. And I was like, mm. that that's me. I'm Wolverine. I've got a mutant healing factor because I always healed like super fast and I never even broke a bone, right? Wow. I've never broken a bone my entire life. I did separate my shoulder, which was really bad. <laughs> it hurt, but, uh, but no, I haven't broken a bone my entire life. And I'm like, and I think maybe my unconscious mind and my belief mm. that I was Wolverine might have had something to do with that. Um, mm, yeah. So yeah. But uh, I, I'm just, you know, obsessed with personal development and unlocking our unlimited potential. And that's just what my whole life is about. Mm. And you mentioned like being a mindset coach. So NLP being a big part of your mm. story and what you do. How did you come across that realm? So my introduction to NLP actually was by an army ranger about 16 years ago. Um, I was in my mm. mid twenties and the company that I was working for had hired him uh, as a supervisor. And so being the senior, uh, you know, project manager, I was, a, I was tasked with training him. Um, and during the course of our interaction, he, you know, eventually we got to know each other. He's a super nice guy. Um, and then he said, he says, Aaron, look, I like you. You're smart, you're passionate, but you got to rein that in, man. You know, you got to get that under control because, you know, and I, I would get hooked, right, by drivers and road rage and all the thing, which is a very common problem, you know, and <laughs> And he said, you got to get that under control because somebody cuts you off. Like they're not paying attention to you. They didn't disrespect you. They didn't even know you're there, but you're giving them control over your emotional state. Right. Mm -hmm. And he called it the gotcha game. And he said, you know, they trained us and they being, you know, the military, he said they trained us in these techniques, right. For interrogation, counter interrogation, so that we can be in complete control of our internal state at all times. And that was my introduction to NLP. That's crazy. Like that sounds like straight out of a comic book, like the <laughs> army and connecting that to NLP. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but these techniques are so massively powerful. Um, I mean, the technology has been around for about 50 years now. Uh, it was created back in the 1970s. Um, but yeah, they, they realized, you know, the, the power of these techniques. And when you're a special operator, you know, you're out in the field and you've, you know, the mission depends on your ability to stay in flow, to get into the zone and stay there and control your emotions. Um, you know, they, they use this technology to, uh, to help our special forces and they've been doing it for decades now. 
Mm, and you mentioned a quote off air, like the Carl Jung quote and the Erickson quote. So can you share yeah, that? Yeah, Milton Erickson, uh, the famous hypnotherapist who actually back in the 1950s succeeded in having hypnotherapy recognized as a legitimate therapeutic modality by the American Medical Association. Before that, it was just kind of derided as a as a sideshow kind of, you know, attraction. Um, but Milton Erickson said the only reason he had clients was because people were out of rapport with their unconscious mind. Mm, and I so yeah, it's like it, if our lives are difficult, it's because we're out of alignment somewhere, right? And usually, and, and I guess this is a very broad topic, but mm -hmm. you know, if our conscious desires, right, don't match our behavior, it's because there's an unconscious program that's driving the bus. We're not driving the bus. Mm. And uh, and then you mentioned the other one, which was uh, Carl Jung, the psychologist, who said, "Until we make the unconscious conscious." it will direct our lives and we will call it fate, which is basically what I just said, only more eloquent, right? It's like our unconscious mind programs are driving the bus. And so if we're not getting what we want in our lives, it's because there's a program taking us where we don't want to go. Mm. So tying this into like the you who had like road rage or just had like those outbursts, did like you just jump on NLP? Like, did it excite you? Like, or was it something you were like pensive of? Like, did you think like, what, what the hell is NLP? Or was it something you mm -hmm. just were curious on? It was a curiosity. Uh, I did read it, um, but you know, as with most, I say kids, right? Cause I'm 40 mm. now, <laughs> you know, most, most kids, you know, that age when I was 24, I didn't recognize the power of what he had given me, right? Mm. And it's, and it, and it's funny how like that is true in many different areas of life is, you know, some of the most powerful things are just right under your nose and you just don't have that concept to recognize it for what it is. And, and that was definitely true of me. And it when, sounds so simple, but unless you, you know how profound it is, it won't hit you at the impact. It's simple. <laughs> yeah. It is simple. It's just not easy, right? That's the thing. It's simple, but it's not easy. So, it took me 16 years to realize the power of neuro-linguistic programming. And it, was, it wasn't until I went and got certified in it as a practitioner and went through the breakthroughs and realized just the potential for change that it, that it had in people's lives. Um, I decided then that that was going to be the central focus of my life. And I, I, you know, in my mind, I said, this is the master key that unlocks mm. maximum human potential, right? This is the master key. I and love that. it's, I mean, it is, it's, it's so insanely powerful, right? That uh, it, it just the changes and the transformations that I help my clients get and the time frame that I help them get it, it's almost unbelievable. <laughs> if it wasn't real, I wouldn't believe it myself. <laughs> yeah, what takes years of therapy is done in like one to two hours and or it's less great or less the the ama says it takes between 60 to 80 hours to eliminate completely eliminate one negative emotion right anger sadness fear hurt and guilt um and i use a process called uh, timeline therapy it was created by tad james mm. um and nice. we literally uh so i was on a phone with a guy uh a couple of weeks ago two and a half hours and we ran through all five 
released all five negative emotions in less than two and a half hours. Um, according to the AMA, that should have taken 400 hours. We did it in two and a half. Wow. <laughs> yeah, That's it's crazy. Like you don't have to understand all of these like deeper layers. So other traditional therapy peels it like an onion. <laughs> what NLP <laughs> does, it just it goes straight to the core and uproots yes. it right from that uh, where it exactly. starts. So yeah, the root root different. cause. Find the root cause and pull it out. And you don't need to worry about the branches. <laughs> they take care of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And just explaining what this change work does to people. So a lot of the times people are working on their behavior. And when you change the beliefs, like when you go upstream and work on the beliefs and work on like identity level or like trauma and all of that, once you shift that and once you shift like the paradigm or the story, the behavior automatically changes. So can you touch on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and before I do, I just, I want to mention one specific thing. So you said, you know, what it does to people. Mm -hmm. um, NLP is specifically a do with process. Yeah. It's not a do to or a do for process, right? The client is responsible for change. Um, and I'm just the guide that shows them the path, but they have to walk the path. So it's a do with process. I'm there with them the whole way. And, you know, this, this loop, right, the feedback loop in our minds of, you know, our actions are driven by our behavior and our behavior is controlled by our emotions. Our emotions are created by our thoughts and our thoughts are based on our beliefs. Well, all of our beliefs essentially are programs. It's in based on a decision that we made about the meaning that something had and almost always before we turn seven. <laughs> so, so really, you know, when you look at it in that context, um, the programs that we're running, right, our beliefs, the decisions that we made that created the beliefs that drive our ultimate behavior and our results were made by ourselves as children. You know, mm. our, the reason we don't have what we want in life is because an upset five-year-old gave a meaning to something <laughs> and we carried that with us the rest of our lives. Yeah, that may or may not necessarily be true so do you have any stories around that of like something that you know younger you may have seen and it might have been completely different um oh you know, yeah absolutely um so I'll, I'll give you two quick examples so a mm -hmm. uh, 40 40 mid 40s uh, individual you know and very successful entrepreneur uh, company is sustainable to the point that he really didn't need to run anything mm -hmm. um you know, but he would go into the office and he would sit in front of his computer and he wouldn't work. He wouldn't put himself out there. And, you know, it's like he got it up to a certain point. He reached his kind of comfort zone, you know, yeah. and, and he wouldn't, no matter what he did, he couldn't make himself go, you know, push through that, right? That whatever that was, that sticking point that he was at, that plateau. And so I, when asking the questions, digging into it to determine what is the root cause, what we ultimately discovered is at six years old, when he was on the playground trying to make friends, a bully picked on him and beat him up. And mm. so as, as a six-year-old, he decided putting myself out there equals pain. So I'm not going to put myself out there. And that manifested as a 45-year-old man not growing his company. Okay. And we don't consciously um, remember this, like, unless you go into, into well, it. Well, it's, it's because I don't ask questions the same way that other people ask questions. Mm. You know, I don't ask why. 
I don't, I don't concern myself with why, because all why gets is reasons, right? I ask how, you know? So what is the problem? Here's the problem, right? Here's the presenting problem. How is that a problem for you? Okay. And so all I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm identifying the linguistic clues, right? Like a, like pulling up, tugging on a thread, you know, it's like a loose thread. I just got a clue. And so I'm tugging at that to try and identify like, what is the structure of the problem? How do they represent that to themselves? And they're going to tell me with the language that they use, right? So when people say, for example, should or shouldn't, right? What that tells me is that they're operating within a system that somebody else created. Okay. Mm, and your so, ability to pay attention to their words and just the clues that they give that they may mm -hmm. not even know that they're giving. Nice. Yeah. And so when they say something that, you know, for example, you know, um, I had a, a client that um, you know, had a relationship challenge and they weren't sure what the heck was going on. They're like, this is weird. I felt weird. It like made me really uncomfortable. What's going on? And I'm like, all right, let's take a look at it. Let's examine this. And and so asking the questions, you know, identified the limiting belief was I am not, I'm not in control, right? And I said, mm. okay, when did you decide that, right? Because we talked earlier mm. about every belief was a decision. We decided- Yeah, your questioning style already is like really powerful. And so I said, when did you decide that? And they go, I don't know. Uh, I guess it was in my 20s. Oh, okay, great. Was that the first event? Because right in my head, I'm going, no, it wasn't in your 20s. It was when you were seven, right? Or before. <laughs> um, but in the, and then they went, well, I don't know. Maybe I was in middle school. Oh, okay, great. So we're going to do this technique, right? And walk them through it. And, and then it, so when I go into the induction, the introduction of the technique, right? It's like, <laughs> I always get permission from the unconscious mind to make conscious changes, right? So creating that integration and that alignment. And then I ask them, you know, what is the first event, right? What is the root cause, the first event, which when disconnected will cause the problem to disappear? Was it before, during, or after your birth? Um, you know, because 60% of the world believes in reincarnation and past lives. So, you know, we always allow for that within, within the context of the technique. And they said four years old, four years old is when they made that decision, right? And it wasn't until I specifically enlisted the assistance of the unconscious mind that that came out. Consciously, they could only go back to middle school. But once we got into the technique and got into the unconscious mind, four years old. And so that individual, right, that client was in, uh, I think they were 30, 30 years old. And so that limiting belief that they formed when they were four was having an impact on their relationships at age 30. And once we released and changed and you know that limiting belief into an empowering belief of i'm in control literally their entire life changed everything changed mm, nice it's like a software upgrade and just removing <laughs> the bugs in your system that's really yeah, cool pretty much yeah yeah we, Do we people... get down there and... yeah you're Sorry, saying get you get down there oh it's yeah it's, to your point we we open up the program right mm. We get down to the unconscious mind where the program lives, you know, so mm. we can change it on that level and address the root cause rather than, you know, what the traditional model of therapy is like, they want to talk about it consciously mm. and, and do what I call splashing in the puddle, right? It's when you practice that negative emotion and you continually go to that place in your head, in your mind, right? The neurons mm. that fire together, wire together. My, mm. my opinion yeah. is that, you know, the traditional model of talk therapy of, 
you know, constantly revisiting that negativity, all it does is it Ow. reinforces your ability to get to that negative place in your head. And I so, never thought of that. It's crazy that you point out and just, yeah, the neurons that fire together, just that yeah. is crazy. <laughs> so the more emotionally charged it is and you keep revisiting it, it's causing, it may be causing yeah. more harm than helping. That's my opinion right now. I'm, I'm going to disclaim here. I'm not a licensed medical or psychological professional. So, you know, like, so don't sue me, but, um, but that's, you know, that's my belief. And, and the other thing that I didn't mention that I think is massively important to mention is in every single one of these cases, you know, that I'm, I'm talking about, unless the client tells me specifically what the issue was or what that event was with the, that client that I mentioned with the four years old, I'm not in control in the problem that was manifesting at 30. I don't even know what that event was. We didn't you even talk about it. Hmm. I don't have to know the details. I don't have to know the content of it because once we examine the context of the problem and we understand how it's constructed linguistically, we can change the program. Mm, nice. Yeah, earlier I was just going to ask if you had to see these clients and these people who work with you in person or does it work virtually? I do it over the phone all the time because wow. yeah, 38% of our communication is tonal, right? It's the quality mm -hmm. of our voice and the sounds, right? And then 7% is the words. So even when I can't physically see a person, I'm still getting 45% of communication. And because I listen so closely to what they say, and I ask questions in an unusual different way, we're very, you know, very quickly able to get into rapport and then uncover the root cause of the problem. Yeah, the reason I ask is because not everyone is able to do it virtually or on the phone like all the times you have to go to the this like crazy looking office <laughs> you know like sit on a chair and uh -huh. talk and like achieving those changes and change work at that deep level on the phone is like wow so how do people usually find you well i network i'm a relentless networker or people ask me to be on their podcast and I'd go on podcasts, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, and I, I do, you know, organic outreach on Facebook, but it's mostly word of mouth. I get referred, you know, I change someone's life. They tell their friends and family about me, you know, and, and, and on it goes. Mm. Yeah. And you're just, your, your personality, your energy shines through. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I really like that about you. So like tying in off air, we were talking about like the rabbit hole and tying into like quantum physics and quantum entanglement. Do you want to touch on that? Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the nature and the fabric of reality. So on any, in any given moment, any, you know, every second of the day, you've got, depending on who you listen to, right? Between 2 million and 40 million bits of information that are coming at you. And you can only consciously process about 128 of those. And so what that means is that we can only handle a, a very small percentage of what's possible, right? Mm. And our, our reality, right? Our, percept, our perceived reality that we, you know, with our five senses is based on that 128 little tiny pieces of information out of 2 million. Mm. So just that alone means that there are literally trillions and trillions of different combinations of 128 and those are all different realities right because of what you're paying attention to 
And what is real anyway? There's so little solidity to what's going on here, right? Everything is energy and it's all just held together by these energetic bonds. And so when you think about that, right? That so little of our actual physical reality is physical. And when you talk about quantum mechanics, quantum physics and the, you know, the double slit experiment that proved mm. that, that particles act differently when they're observed, right? It's like yeah. they act like particles when you look at them, but if you don't observe them, they act like waves, right? And yeah, so crazy. <laughs> it, it, until, until you observe the particle, it, it has limitless potential, right? Unlimited possibilities. Only when you observe it, that something actually is that measurable occurs. And so if we tie that into ourselves, right? Like until we make a decision, we have limitless potential. The possibilities are, you know, innumerable. Once we make a decision, that's when we get the result, right? And our attention, that the power of our thoughts influences particles, particles, these little tiny subatomic particles. Like what, what, can, what, how much power do we actually have, right? How much power do we actually have to influence you know, the universe simply with the power of our minds. If we can just observe, passively observe a particle and it changes the behavior, what is possible when we intentionally direct the power of our thoughts? Yeah, and the water experiment where words and oh, sound yeah. frequencies affect. Yeah, yeah, when, you, when you're mad at, mad at the water and you're cursing at the water, it, it has a different structure and form than if you're, you know, cooing at it and, and talking nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah it, it affects the structure of the water. It's like that. I mean, yeah, that that blows my mind, too. It's like our physical in plants, you know, plants is another example, mm. you know, that if you if you talk nice to your plants, they thrive. And if you, you know, yell at your plants and you play harsh music, they they die. You know, mm, so yeah. it's like our reality reacts to us. Right. Our emotions have energy and our thoughts have energy. Right. And if we're not, if we're not using them consciously, then we're, then they're using us unconsciously. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even scientifically, like our bodies made up of like uh, over 70% water and just yep. thinking about that and just being aware of that and tying into what you do. So not only do you do NLP mindset work, you also bring in the quantum physics side of things. So like, how does that come into play when, um, creating breakthroughs and creating like change work, like the quantum side of things. On on the quantum side, so that actually is a discussion that I have with people when we talk about health, right, and mm. and physical disease in the body. Because you know when you when you think about it, right, that ninety nine point nine 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 percent is empty space, right? Mm. There's so little physical reality. And then you look at the unconscious mind and we've got 37 trillion cells in our body. And every second of the day, our unconscious mind is generating energy and you know, clearing out the dead cells and building new cells and monitoring everything down to that, you know, the tiniest degree inside 37 trillion cells in our body, doing everything reflexively, our breathing and our heartbeat and our blood pressure and your core temp and all these things. Hmm. And it's like, so the question that I ask when clients have a physical issue is if your unconscious mind is able to manage, you know, run the ship, right, to the degree that it's managing the chemical reactions inside of 37 trillion cells every second of every day, completely outside of your awareness, do you really think 
that whatever's going on in your body that it doesn't know about that. The question is, right? So you've got a problem. Our five senses are all pointed outside of us. And we're not told and we're not trained how to go inside of us to become aware of, you know, those unconscious conflicts and the stored negative emotions and past traumas and negative events, right? We're not taught how to resolve that stuff. And so my opinion is, and you know, you can feel free to reject this if it doesn't apply. My opinion is that, you know, the unconscious mind projects into our conscious awareness the problem so that we can become aware of it and resolve it solve the problem <laughs> that's almost like a shortcut cheat code <laughs> it is it is and that's why you know for 400 hours of therapy according to the ama and we're like knocking the stuff out in two and a half hours because we're not we're not splashing in the puddle right we're not strengthening the neural connections you know with the the, the negative emotion and the trauma It's the difference between trying to knock a building down with a sledgehammer or dynamite. <laughs> mm, <laughs> dynamite all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're if you're going to knock down a building, blow it up, right? Just just get in there with some strategically placed, you know, demo charges and blow it up. Why would you want to take longer to solve the problem than you have to? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and yeah, going back to like you said, the mind-body connection. So I think like when your body has any kind of pain, it's trying to get your attention. It cannot really Absolutely. like c communicate with you. So right. what you yeah. mentioned of it being conscious of all of these things, like not working, it's like trying to get your attention on, you know, things that want to be freed up in your hardware. <laughs> so yeah. There's so like, many different levels to that so many levels to, to what you just said that every cell in the body is bathed in neurotransmitters so mm. every cell in your body is eavesdropping on the conversation that you're having with yourself in your mind every cell in your body and so oh. the, because the thoughts that we think create the feelings that we have our emotions and our every cell in our body is eavesdropping on that conversation those thoughts right the emotions that we feel and the thoughts that we think affect every cell in our body And so looking at it from that perspective, it's, it kind of begs the question, well, what diseases are we causing by negative thinking? How are, how are we impacting our own health by negative thinking? And the emotions, and this is crucial, right? This is one of the, like my major ahas, like blew my mind when I started shifting and thinking of it this way, that every single day we think between 60 and 80,000 thoughts. Mm, and yeah because our unconscious mind is literally millions of times more powerful than our conscious mind, there's no way that we can consciously keep track of all these thoughts. They're, they're habitual. 95% of our thoughts are habitual, right? It's just a pattern of thinking that we have. And so how do we, how do we check in and become aware of the thoughts that we're thinking? It's our emotions because thoughts create the emotion, the emotion. Most people get the emotion and they follow the emotion down the rabbit hole when really all the emotion is, the emotion is a signal from our mm. unconscious mind what we're thinking, whether it's positive or negative, which I, re I personally don't believe in positive and negative. I believe only in useful and not useful, right? Is it resourceful mm. or is it not resourceful? Is it That's getting a really closer to reframe. our objective? Useful and I, not useful. And I had a conversation just yesterday about that where an entrepreneur that I was talking to said, I don't do that. That's not good. And I said, Is it though? It's like, if you have this football team that has four plays and that football team that has 16 plays, 
which team do you think is going to win the game, right? The team with more plays because it's more flexibility of behavior. So all labeling something does, right? Good, bad, right, wrong, whatever it is, you know, all labeling it does is it creates a limitation because if it's bad, if you believe it's bad, then you're not going to do that thing. And you are effectively removing that as a possibility. You're eliminating that behavior from your arsenal, your toolbox, right? And the, the system or the person with a greater flexibility of behavior will end up winning the game. And so in the context of, you know, that or within a certain context, the behavior is not good or bad. There is no behavior that is inherently good or bad all the time. It's only useful in that context or not useful in that context. And so and I say with labels good are and bad is like emotionally charged. When it's useful and not useful, you step right. away from it almost. So that's no. a really powerful hack. Shakespeare said, "There's nothing either. There's nothing uh, good or bad, but thinking makes it so." Right? Mm, yeah, yeah. It's all about what is the meaning that we're giving to it, right? It's like because the event isn't the the thing that we make it mean, right? We're giving the meaning to the event. Nothing has meaning except the meaning we give it. And the meaning that we give it is a decision that we make about what that means, right? So using the you know, uh, road rage example, you know, I could decide that that guy cutting me off means that guy's a jerk, right? And he's inconsiderate and disrespectful. Or I could decide that it meant that maybe he just wasn't paying attention and I'm glad that he didn't run into me and that we, now we can both continue on our way safely. Or maybe I could decide that maybe he's in a hurry because his wife is going to the hospital to give birth, you know, but it's, it's all, it, the situation didn't change. The only thing that changed is the meaning that I gave it, right? And the meaning that I gave it is, you know, that thought creates the emotion that I feel, right? So I went from anger and frustration over the guy being disrespectful to gratitude for our mutual safety and compassion and empathy over maybe he's got a situation that I don't know about, right? So and, it's, yeah. it's a, you know. And choosing a useful narrative, like choosing the useful uh, interpretation instead of um, yeah. being fixed on something that's like, it's purely road rage. Like, is this a useful narrative? And if it's not, then get curious and try out different lenses and um, mm -hmm. explore that. Yeah, that's, that, that's you really just, you stated it beautifully. I love the way you put that. <laughs> yeah, like thank you for this conversation. I'm I'm geeking out. So, who do you primarily <laughs> work with? Like, who are the clients that like get drawn to you, or is it just like all over and you work with anyone? Um, I mean, really, it's it's the people who raise their hands and say, "I have a problem and I want to solve it." Right. Mm -hmm. Um. It's, when, when you look at who's my ideal client avatar, right? Like my ideal client avatar is basically a previous version of myself before the transformation, you know? And so where I was before I transformed, I wasn't an employee. I worked for a company for a long time. I started my own business. I ran that for a long time. You know, I was successful, you know, and by success, you know, by my, our standards, right? It's like I was my company was doing, you know, about a half a million in revenue and it was just me, right? Mm. But I hated my job. I was totally unfulfilled and I was like, man, this stinks. But I was terrified, terrified of making a change because I didn't know anything else. That's all I had done my entire life, right? And so in my head, I had this burning question, right? Should I scale or should I bail? 
do I hire people and tie myself to this business or do I shut it down and do something else, which is what I really want to do, but I'm so terrified about making that change. And oh. after I went and got my certification in NLP, right, that was the catalyst that I realized, the moment that I realized that the mountain that I was climbing wasn't the only mountain that I could climb. That mm. the struggle that I was in, you know, that I couldn't see the forest for the trees, you know, I got so much clarity that rather than being focused on my current situation and the struggle that I was engaged in, I recognized that man, I can choose my struggle. I can choose the mountain to climb. I, I don't have to climb this one, you know? And maybe it means starting over again from the bottom, but understanding the possibilities and the power of thought, right? And the power of decision. I went, I, that's not a problem, right? It, it, it wasn't a problem anymore. And, you know, in NLP, we say a problem's not a problem unless it's a problem. <laughs> so it, it stopped being a problem. Um, so I, I work with, you know, successful entrepreneurs who are stuck, unfulfilled, unhappy in their careers. And I have worked with, you know, massively successful entrepreneurs who have, you know, re-engaged in their businesses and gone on to make hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And I've worked with, you know, people who were stuck in their corporate job, you know, in the C-suite executives and mm -hmm. didn't want to do it anymore and coached them through, right? The breakthrough and, you know, leaving their, comp their job and starting their own business and becoming successful there. So, um, you know, really it's, the the avatar is the person who's stuck right and they don't know what what they don't understand they don't know what they don't know they know mm -hmm. that there's more they know there's more and they just don't know how to get it they don't know how to get unstuck from where they're at mm, i love that and i love like you're a master nlp practitioner so the investment to take up that kind of training and the hours to to actually do that must have been crazy like did you burn your boat or did you give yourself like if this doesn't work out there's another option no no um i burned the boats because <laughs> I, I i knew myself well enough that i knew that if i had a plan b if i had a safety net and a backup plan that i wouldn't fully execute to the level that i needed to um, mm. So, so I burned the boats. I shut down my company. I told all of my clients that I was getting out of the business. <laughs> um, I, I basically gave myself no no chance for retreat, and mm. I don't recommend that for everybody. <laughs> I don't that recommend works for it. You. <laughs> it. Well, it was scary. It was difficult. It. Uh, I, for the first time in my life, I had to actually ask for help. I never had ever asked for help before that, and it was very humbling experience um but you know everything happens the way that it has to happen the only way it could happen and you know I, i'm a, a subscriber of stoic philosophy that you know fun, just finding the beauty in each moment um you know and just appreciating it for what it is because even if you don't recognize the gift that you're receiving at the moment there is a gift in it and so i just confirmed myself with finding it and so i learned humility a lot of it. <laughs> so I don't recommend it. Don't recommend it for everybody. But uh, yeah, it, it, it worked out well for me. <laughs> so yeah, and you made it work and just bringing all of that into your practice right now and who you are and how you do things like just I wonder like that humility experience what it was like and just pushing through even though you you know, there were times you must have doubted, like, uh, am I doing the right thing? Like, 
are you crazy? Like, did those things ever cross your mind or like the thought of giving oh, of up? Or just... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, fear and doubt. I mean, it's a natural thing, right? And and you're, you're never going to completely eliminate those emotions. I mean, we're human. <laughs> we get hooked on stuff, you know? You get triggered and you get hooked on things. The difference is, you know, like, uh, so I play tennis and you know, one of the major factors in your success at tennis is your ability to recover after the shot. How quickly can you get back into position on the court? And so it is with life and your mindset, right? It's like the, the objective is not to not feel the feels, right? You're going to think the thoughts and feel the feels. It's natural. It's going to happen. The objective is to become aware of the thoughts and the feelings and to be able to recalibrate and get yourself back on track pointed in the right direction right so negative thoughts and fears and doubts are going to come up and they're going to want to run you into the ditch you know but how quickly can you get yourself back on the road pointed in the right direction right that's the key that's the key and so that's what you know i drink my own kool-aid you know like the stuff that i train my clients to do the mindset work that we do you know to control their emotions and their thoughts you know you have to do it yourself I, I drink my own Kool-Aid. I got to, right? Because I mean, how how can I be a coach to my clients if I can't even control my own thoughts? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, because you seem like a superhuman right now. And for people to realize that you weren't always superhuman, you had like that human side of you and you were able to become who you are today because you pushed through despite the fear. So like they see the success story, but they don't see the journey. And just sharing that, you know. That's always you the feel way it goes. These, you feel these emotions. You're not above it. And like, just because no, you take up know. NLP and you know all these things, that doesn't put you above the feeling of being human. It's, you know, in, it, I'm, I'm no more superhuman than anybody else. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, all I've done is I've unlocked more of my potential. And I see the reality, right? I see how much power I actually have. But it's not my power uniquely. This power that I have exists inside of everybody. You, everybody listening to this audio, right? That power exists. The only difference is I see it. And that's what lights you up, like lighting up that fire in everyone or the people who want that fire to be yeah. lit. It's here, let me, let me strip away those filters that are preventing you from seeing it. Yeah, we all have unlimited potential, all of us. The only thing is just, you know, because of our programming, we're not tapping into it. That's it. Yeah, and and our programming is like an old computer program from the 90s and we don't realize (laughs) we could upgrade. From the 90s. Hey, now. Hey, now. I grew up in the 90s. I I did too. But just like, you know, like those like windows really slow. Like I remember the internet, like it would cut off when someone else would use the phone. Just it's yeah, it's an antiquated, time, yeah. outdated, you know, inefficient program. Yeah, and, and it's nostalgic. It's just <laughs> not useful. Uh, well, it, I guess it depends on your definition of nostalgia, because uh, I don't, I definitely don't have any warm, you know, kind of reminiscences about the bad programming that I had before, because it caused me a great deal of pain. Um, but no, it's it's just it's not useful, and so yeah, I remember the floppy disks, and like it's oh, really gosh. bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> and now yep. we have like terabytes of storage, and before oh, it was yeah. like this horrible storage. It, it's like, since yeah. since you mentioned that, I I want to bring up another point, mm. and that is the speed with which technology is increasing. 
between 1900 and 2000, you know, if we go ahead and, you know, say like that amount of technological advancement was duplicated between 2000 and 2015. We took a hundred years of progress and compressed it into 15 years. And we're on track to duplicate it again by 2025, right? So we took 15 years and compressed it down into 10 years. So the speed of advancement is, is exponentially increasing, but our education is not. Our education is not keeping track, right? We're like, our technology is moving faster than us and, and we're not adjusting, right, to optimize our own performance, our own brains, our own minds, our own emotions, right? So yeah. it's, uh, my mission and purpose in life is to unlock that potential that lives inside all of us and to raise the baseline of the human experience. Mm. And for people also to realize that it's possible, like it's not that yeah. you're born this way. It's you can choose a different narrative, a different choice. So mm -hmm. I really choice. love this conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's all about choice. You're right. It's it's choice, and and the awareness that there is a choice. That's the first step. Just to be aware that you even can choose, because most people aren't even aware of that that the choice exists. Mm. And doing it on your own takes so much time so like working with a coach finding those oh cheat gosh. codes those hacks those like uh, loopholes and using those yeah. to your advantage like time is very limited like stop taking the hard way and you know yeah. stop reinventing the wheel people <laughs> stop reinventing the wheel socrates one of my favorite quotes by socrates he said employ your time and learning by other men's writings so that you mm. shall gain easily what others have labored hard for, right? I it's like <laughs> somebody else has already invented the wheel, use it, right? It's like somebody already, you know, had the hard journey. So just walk the path that they've already blazed, right? Until you find your own way, you know, your unique gifts and your unique talents and, and your superpower and whatever it is, you know, that you bring to the world, you know, mm. walk the path that's already been established until you get to the point where you figure out whatever that thing is, you know? Mm. So I'm a relentless reader. I read every single day. Um, you know, Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, uh, Brian Tracy, um, you know, all just, you name it, I read it, <laughs> you know, all, all the, that's the, and that's one of the fundamental principles of NLP too, is that, you know, the belief that by studying people who are excellent at what they do, we can break down the process that they followed and duplicate those results. So we call it modeling, right? You find someone who's excellent and then you model what they do and you can get the results that they get. Mm. Yeah, it's like standing on the shoulders of giants. Like stop exactly. trying to figure out how they did what yeah. they did. <laughs> Just take what they created. The wheel's already there and build on top yeah. of that and make it better. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. What, why? why try and climb the mountain yourself because there's so many people there's so many people who have already climbed it that are like literally reaching down to offer the assistance right mm. and so i think part of the problem is ego you know and certainly was one of my problems was ego of i've never asked for help before <laughs> you know but until i set that aside right that pride of i can do it all on my own right like a stubborn six-year-old i can do it myself um mm until I set that aside, right? Like I have grown more in the past, uh, you know, year, right? 
than I than I had like in the previous like in the first 30 years of my life you know hmm. and asking for help and paying a lot of money for coaches and mentors has made a huge difference <laughs> yeah, I love that and also the narrative of having to earn your stripes like when you feel like you've worked hard for something and struggled and it hurt that it's more amazing than it is when in reality that you could just pay for it and just get it in a quick and easy way and you don't have to struggle like it's it's not a requirement to and it's a choice like if you want the scenic route that's um, a more steep climb you can go that way it'll take longer but there is a shortcut you just have to ask and be willing to put in the time resources and make yeah. it happen I yeah. absolutely believe in getting in like mentorship, getting into programs, studying, and getting unfair advantages. So stop it's not even it. unfair. That's the thing. It's not unfair, right? The advantages are out there. You know, it's like, and who who is it unfair to really, right? I think not taking it's, advantage yeah, of advantages yeah, out there is unfair to yourself. Yeah. See, so so I'm, I'm identifying the linguistic patterns here too. You know, the whole the whole concept of you know earning your stripes. Mm. Whoever said that you needed to earn your stripes, right? Like for what purpose? What what do you gain by having to earn your stripes, right? Like there's there's some sort of virtue in the struggle, right? Yeah. Like who who decided that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like if you if you have a struggle over here and you know an easier path over there and it gets you to the same place why would we choose to struggle yeah, <laughs> doesn't make sense to me, me. like um, no pain no gain it's like oh okay there's oh. another way ah uh, well now so i will say that all growth is uncomfortable right mm -hmm. all growth is uncomfortable it, it if if it wasn't then every guy on the planet would walk around looking like arnold schwarzenegger you know because mm -hmm. <laughs> everybody, everybody would be huge and muscular you know because that's like what guys want to look like but the, the key is to become comfortable with discomfort is to accept the discomfort as part of the process and rather than seeing discomfort and, and being uncomfortable as something to be avoided to reframe that to give it another meaning that un being uncomfortable means I'm growing. That means I'm becoming more than I was. That means that I'm acquiring new skills, new knowledge, new abilities, right? New potential that I didn't have before. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And just also the idea of paying for something and like, why is it so expensive? Or uh, why do we have to do that? And like mm -hmm. anything high ticket or premium is actually wired to make you pay attention so mm -hmm. your reticular activation system you know it, it you, you have your attention and it could be a different way but it'll just take more willpower if you don't put skin in the game so put skin in the game mm -hmm. and your learning just amplifies like it becomes easier to learn so really yeah, it, invest yeah. in yourself and if there's a skill you want to learn achieve do there's rewirings you want done you know as soon as you can like optimize and upgrade yourself like work on that and like you'll be surprised at your growth and what's possible oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so really crazy conversation and just before <laughs> we wrap up i ask guests like three questions so okay. question number one is in a perfect reality in a perfect world 
where would you be waking up? Who would you be impacting? What would that look like? Um, you know, I did, I did my kind of perfect day visualization mm -hmm. recently and, and I, I didn't, you know, I just went with it, you know, just whatever showed up and I yeah. woke up in a room by the ocean with wall to wall windows, just all the daylight streaming in. And I don't know, I got the sense that I was in like Greece or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and who would I be impacting? I mean, in my perfect day, I'm having meetings with, you know, influencers in the education system, right? Because, you know, my belief that this technology, neuro-linguistic programming is the master key for us to unlock our maximum potential and optimize our minds for performance. Um, I believe we've got to incorporate this into education so that kids can be optimized at an earlier and earlier age. And so I'm, you know, I'm speaking to, you know, stadiums full of people and I'm, you know, having meetings with educators and administrators and, you know, those types of people. I love that. I love the sensory rich experience of the description <laughs> that you have and that you actually did the exercise and just the impact that you wanted creating, like starting them out young and seeing a generation that's more empowered and more enabled versus like how it's currently being run currently being done yeah i would mm -hmm. love to see that world yep. so question number two is what's a deep dark desire that keeps you up at night i don't have any of those <laughs> or just something that keeps you up like these questions nothing, are just absolutely honestly <laughs> nothing keeps me up anymore um, <laughs> I, uh, what, what is my driving desire? I mean, mm. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what my deepest fear is. And my, my biggest fear is not living up to my potential and not having the impact that I know that I can have with this work and this technology and, you know, reaching the end of my life and feeling that I could have and should have done more. Mm. That's a scary thought. Like even you just voicing that out loud and making like me pensive. That's always I, I just. Have, yeah, I've got a visceral reaction. I, I feel that like in my gut when I talk about that, you know, and I didn't start out that way. You know, I, I was before I was afraid of failure and I was afraid of rejection and fear, afraid of being criticized, you know, of putting myself out there and, you know, not being good enough. Now I'm, I'm afraid of not doing enough. And not yeah. having, not helping enough people to unlock their potential and live the lives that they want. Because, I mean, statistically speaking, only eight percent of people actually accomplish their goals, and that's that's tragic to me. You know, that means ninety-two percent of people don't ever live up to their potential, and they go to their deathbed with their music still inside them, and that is just tragic to me. Yeah, and what's the point of unlocking like your highest potential and not doing anything with it? Like just like the visceral reaction yeah. in me. It's selfish. It's selfish, right? If you have a gift that can benefit other people and it can change their lives, you have a moral obligation to share that, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's just sharing how you got to your uh, peak state and you know mm -hmm. doing what you can where you are and you know like yeah. stop being obsessed with perfection <laughs> wanting to oh, be the next yeah, steve jobs one. or <laughs> someone like super amazing and just start where you are and it has a compound effect like it will build on top of itself and 
it's like before you know it you're already achieving some really cool things yeah. and it starts I mean, starting everybody has the potential to be the next steve jobs right because steve jobs didn't have more hours in the day than anybody else had he just used them more effectively <laughs> you know yeah, absolutely and he so. encountered failure after failure and oh, he just yeah. pushed through and persevered Thomas J. Watson, the chairman and CEO of IBM from the 1930s to the 1960s said, if you want to increase your rate of success, then double your rate of failure. And, and so not everyone is willing to do that. <laughs> it's just because failure is so stigmatized, right? Like mm. you, you talk about failure and it's like, oh, I don't want that. That's bad. Right. But I say there is no failure. There's only feedback. Right. It doesn't, it, going back to the like, not labeling things as good or bad, right? It's just a result, right? It's either the result that gets you closer to where you wanna go or not, right? And if it doesn't get you closer, right? Well, actually, technically, every mistake does get you closer because then you figured out something that didn't work, right? Mm, so yeah. you've eliminated one of the possibilities. Thomas Edison, light bulb, perfect example, right? I mean, how many times did he, did he you know, attempt to build the light bulb before he finally succeeded, right? Like thousands. Yeah, and, and he called it, um, it wasn't, he didn't, he didn't count it as a failure. He counted it as like another way that, way that didn't, didn't work. work. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're always getting results, right? They're either the results that we want that are better results than others, but we're always getting results. And every step, every mistake still moves us closer to our goal, right? So we shouldn't be afraid of failure. We should be afraid of not making mistakes. Mm. Yeah, and just failure means you've gone outside your comfort zone, outside the zone that you know, and that's where it's innovation not failure. Happens. There's no failure, only feedback. feedback. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, that's that's one of those words that I eliminate from my client's vocabulary. Okay, there is no failure. There's only feedback, right? And that's such a powerful reframe to have, like even just that tiny thing, like switching the word failure and flipping it in your mind to feedback. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's already I mean, powerful. It's a good thing, right? Because it means you're trying. It means you're out there doing, you know, it means you're moving in the, in the direction of your goals. You know, you're pursuing what you want. I mean, I think making mistakes is, is it's a great thing. It's an amazing thing. I, I make as many mistakes as I possibly can because that means I'm trying different stuff. That means I'm going to get to the end faster. The faster I figure out what doesn't work, the faster I'll figure out what does. Oh, it does work. Yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so question number three is what's a guilty pleasure or do you have those? Guilty pleasure. Oh, guilty pleasure. Oh, what is my guilty pleasure? I'll tell you what my guilty pleasure is. <laughs> my guilty pleasure is a French, a warm French baguette <laughs> with goat cheese and olive oil and pepper, right? So I'll take a little little saucer, I'll put some goat cheese and some extra virgin olive oil, mm. some, some grind some pepper on it, a warm French baguette with uh, the, you know, the goat cheese, the olive oil, the pepper with a glass of red wine. That is my mm. guilty pleasure. I can't say no to that. <laughs> Get in wine. Yeah. And I, yeah. I love red blends. Like, you know, I don't do like the Cabernet or the Sauvignon or, you know, just whatever it's like. I like a red blend. The darker, the better. <laughs> nice. Thank you for yeah. hopping on the show. And just like, no, thanks is for there having any, me. yeah, thank you so much. Is there any like quote or insight or question you'd want to leave listeners with? And also oh how gosh. they can find it. <laughs> 
out about you? Um, well, you can go to my website, wildfiredynamics.com, and that's W-Y-L-D-F-Y-R-E dynamics.com. Um, look me up on Facebook, Aaron Morris, and you see my ugly mug on there. Um, and uh, uh, inspirational quotes, I don't know, I mean, I think I've dropped so many quotes, it's like, I, I feel like I'm all quoted out. Um, but yeah, I think that one of the, you know what, I'll, I'll, here's one, expose yourself to your deepest fear. After that, fear has no power and the fear of freedom shrinks and vanishes and you are free. Oh, that's just a really powerful quote. Like who said that? Uh, that was Jim Morrison. <laughs> Jim Morrison. Yeah. Yeah. And also like there was this quote of the cave you wit you fear to enter is the one that holds your treasure. So if you're um, afraid of something, go forward and jump. Everything, everything that we want is on the other side of fear. You know, and you know what, actually, actually, there is a quote, there is a quote that I absolutely love. And we talked about it before we started recording, but it is this, and it's by Marianne Williamson. Mm. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Mm, really deep and really profound words. So, yeah, thank, thank Marianne Williamson. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Marianne Williamson, and thank you Absolutely. for coming on the show and just sharing. Oh, I enjoyed it. Just, yeah, talking about all of these crazy topics and going down <laughs> the rabbit holes. <laughs> I, hey, I, I enjoy the heck out of this. So I, uh, I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for, for, you know, allowing me to come and speak to you and have this conversation with you today. And I hope that it is beneficial and, and brings value and expands the minds and the consciousness of your listeners.